tonight, as has been mentioned, we are going to be continuing in our Route 66 series, surveying the books of the Bible. And we find ourselves tonight in the fifth book of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. You can go ahead and turn or tap your way there. We see from the very first verse who the author of this book is. It says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. See this also in chapter 31, verses 9 and 22. Deuteronomy is written by Moses, and it concludes, this book concludes the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the books of Moses, or the, the book of the law, oftentimes just simply the law. And as I was thinking about Deuteronomy, my mind went to the media phenomenon that is the popularity of the serial TV show or the movie franchise, in which you have multiple episodes, multiple installments, multiple whole movies even, that together comprise that great saga XYZ of your fill-in-the-blank favorite genre or series. You know, one of the things I think that makes this style of storytelling so popular is that that long-form, multi-episode, multi-movie series allows for really complex plot development and foreshadowing that, that gets landed in this part here and then it gets picked up here and ties it all together and, oh, that's what that was for, and those kinds of moments. And, and you get to see also character development and growth across this time scale, and it's, it's caused lots of, of popularity and a lot of attachment even to, to these characters. You know, in many ways, the book of Deuteronomy is the conclusion of the Moses saga, if you will, for we see his death recorded at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, and it ends the first major season of redemptive history, if you will, as we close out the first five books of the law before the people of God go into the land, the promised land in the book of Joshua. But Deuteronomy serves more than just a conc as conclusion for the Pentateuch. It serves as a major hinge point in all of redemptive history. As we look at the book of Deuteronomy, you, you could ask several questions about the book, which we will use to begin our study. The first of these, who, who wrote the book? We mentioned that it was Moses. You might ask, what are the major themes of the book of Deuteronomy. And I can tell you that for the majority of our time tonight, we're going to go to the text. We're going to go and look through the book of Deuteronomy and read together sections of this book. And as we do so, what are some of the themes that become apparent? Well, firstly, and perhaps most significantly, is a recap or a recapitulation of the covenant. We have in the book of Deuteronomy a sort of second law or a copy of the law. The name of the book, Deuteronomy, is derived from, from a word, from a phrase, meaning a copy or a second law. This is what we are seeing. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, certain words recur again and again and again. Things like listen, hear, heed, obey, observe, fear, love. This is a book full of commands, commands both to the people of Israel as a nation and to individual believers in the one true God. We find in the book of Deuteronomy a, a retelling and a repeat of the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. And then the large section of the middle of the book is in some ways Moses' sermon, an expository sermon, if you will, on the Ten Commandments. And you can trace the, a large section of Deuteronomy, trace them, the, the commands and the instructions back to specific commands in the Ten Commandments. We see as the nation of Israel has now been in the wilderness, they're about to go into the land and need to govern themselves accordingly, how are they to do this? They are to do this with right principles of justice, right ordering of, ordering of government, right proper worship, and personal godliness and holiness in the land. A very pronounced theme is the idea of blessings and curses, blessings for obedience, blessings to those who listen, who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, who are careful to do all that God has said, and curses for those who rebel against the Lord, who close their ears to his word, and who follow after other 
gods. There are prophecies in the book of Deuteronomy telling the people what may happen if they walk in a certain way and what will happen in their future. But there is also the proclamation of God's mercy. You see in Deuteronomy the heart of God for his people and his great love for them. And it is in the book of Deuteronomy that we are shown that the problem with Israel was not just that they were doing bad things, but that they had a bad heart. They needed a new heart, or as the book of Deuteronomy discusses it, they need to have circumcised hearts. And if you think about it, how could you circumcise your heart? You have to do open heart surgery. That's not something I can physically do and survive that process. Someone else is going to have to do the circumcising of my heart, and it is the Lord himself who promises to do that for his people. So these are some of the themes that we will see in the book of Deuteronomy. Who is it for? Who is the book of Deuteronomy addressed to? Well, there's the initial audience. We see that this is delivered to the people of Israel at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, there on the plains of Moab, just on the eastern bank of the Jordan River across from Jericho. The promised land is within eyesight. And here are all of the people who have come through the wilderness, those even who were children at the time of the Exodus, but whose parents have perished due to their rebellion. This is a book of the recapping of the law for the people who are about to go in and set up the nation state of Israel in the land. How are they to do that? But the book of Deuteronomy is also setting the context for the rest of the Old Testament. As we get into Judges and Joshua and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you will see again and again the degree to which the people of Israel conformed to the law as revealed in Deuteronomy and the rest of the Torah and the degree to which they rebelled against it and turned away from it. And the promises of the curse and the blessing come to pass in Old Testament Israel. The book of Deuteronomy was also governing the ministry and life of our Lord. The book of Deuteronomy was one of the places that the New Testament quotes very often, and our Lord also refers to it in his ministry. So it's not just for the Old Testament. It was active and important for the New Testament. The Writers and apostles in the early church cite the book of Deuteronomy as fundamental truths about God, prophecies that would be fulfilled in Messiah Jesus. But the book of Deuteronomy is not just for back then, it's also for now. Let me be clear, we are not Israel. The church is not Old Testament Israel. America is not Old Testament Israel. The specific guarantees that we see in Deuteronomy of blessing, things like the land, victory over enemies, temporal blessings, crops, children, rain, these, as we see in Deuteronomy, were specifically given to the nation of Israel, God's people coming out of Egypt into the land. And the purpose, the purpose of all of these blessings were to serve as a, a barometer, if you will, or a, a reflection, a diagnostic of the degree to which the people were keeping the law and walking in God's ways. If they walk in God's ways, the Lord would bless them, and it would be obvious that they were under God's blessing. And if they turn away, it would be obvious that they are under God's curse. Interestingly enough, God put them not in the land of Egypt, where the Nile River provided continual, ready hydration and irrigation of crops, but he put them in the land of Israel, a land dependent on the rain, dependent upon God to provide for them, so that it would be very clear when prosperity was abundant why that was happening and the curse why that was happening. It's also for us, as we, we've seen other passages in the Torah, examples for us. 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrews 3, point back to the nation in the wilderness and coming out of the wilderness as examples for us as believers to warn against the sin and the peril of unbelief and of tolerating wickedness in our own lives as Christians. The book of Deuteronomy for us today also reveals the character of God as the just and holy God and the loving and gracious and merciful atoning God who loves his people. We see the principles at play in Deuteronomy for right worship. Why is this here? Why do we have the book of Deuteronomy? It has 
many audiences, but why is it here? Well, it does tell us about God. It tells us that God is not just up there somewhere, but for the believer, the Lord is your God. The Lord is our God. That phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord your God, happens again and again and again and again throughout the book of Deuteronomy, reminding the believer that it is not just some God that they are serving, but they are serving Yahweh, the covenant-keeping only God there is. And he is their God. He is their God by redemption. He bought them and he brought them out of Egypt for himself. And so we can see that the Lord, Christian, is our God. He is your God. Points us to the goodness of God's ways, to the goodness of his character, to the goodness of his grace, and the call to real obedience. In Deuteronomy, we see the call to remember what God has done in the past and to listen to what God has said and to trust in who God is and to follow what God commands and to enjoy the blessings that God brings. So as you study Deuteronomy on your own, which I would encourage you to do, and as we continue tonight, look at the blessings of obedience that he looks out. Look at the goodness of God's way. So often, another key theme in this book is the idea of it being for your good or being well with you. You should do this so that it might be well with you. God cares about the well-being of his people. He loves us, Christian, and he wants our good, but there is no good apart from God. That is a message clear in the book of Deuteronomy. So let's then look at a a major question. We'll spend the most of our time here. How does the the book of Deuteronomy unfold? What is the main content of this book? Well, the majority of Deuteronomy is presented in the form of an extended sermon by Moses. It can be divided in in different ways, but as I was thinking about how to do that and using some resources and helpful, uh, some uh, some of the helpful resources that Brandon sent to me, I, I think one way that you can look at the book of Deuteronomy is in the matter of perspective that the book of Deuteronomy calls the reader to have. There are really four perspectives that we see throughout the book of Deuteronomy that I think help us organize the major sections of this book. Four perspectives for the right worshiper of God, for the true follower of the one true God. The book of Deuteronomy opens with the first 11 chapters with a call for the believer to be looking back. There's a call to be looking back in chapters 1 to 11. The second perspective that they should have was to be looking out, that is to be looking outward to others in chapters 12 through 26. And the last major section, they are to be looking forward to the future, to the land and to the blessings or the curses that may await them as they enter the land. They should be looking back, looking out, looking forward. But fourthly, and this is not really in any one place specifically, yet it is throughout the book of Deuteronomy, it is the perspective of looking up. That is that interwoven throughout the book of Deuteronomy is the call that the Lord God the Lord your God would be the preeminent consideration in all that they do. That as they look back, they would be looking up to see the hand of the Lord in the past. As they look out to see how they should govern themselves in the land, they should be looking up to the Lord who gives them his law. And as they look forward to the future that awaits them, they should look up to the God who is already there and who has promised what he has promised in his word. Above all the commands, the reminders, the exhortations, prophecies, promises, blessings in the book of Deuteronomy is the character of God, the Lord who reveals himself to be the covenant-making, promise-keeping, people-leading, law-giving, holiness-protecting, justice-upholding, sinner-judging, mercy-showing, grace-extending, love-continuing God. This is who God is in the book of Deuteronomy, and it is who he is now and forever and ever. Amen. So whether we look back or forward or out, we are ever to look up. So let's look at first this first perspective, the first 11 chapters. That is, the people of God are to be looking back and also to be looking up. The book of Deuteronomy begins in the first chapters with the call of the people to consider where they have been 
how the Lord has called them and redeemed them and led them through the wilderness. And this is not just a historical recap. This is not Numbers uh, for Dummies or Numbers Cliff's Notes version. It's not just previously seen in season one, yet it's an exhortation for this new generation of Israel about to enter the land to consider their history, consider who the Lord is and what he's done, to consider what kind of people their forebearers were and how then they should live in light of that memory. And Moses exhorts them to walk accordingly. Chapter one, the Lord recounts the call of the people to enter the land and then the rebellion of the people against that call, the failure to enter the land 40 years ago. Chapter two recounts the wilderness wanderings in which the Lord would in judgment kill all the generation of Israel from age 20 and up that had come out of the Exodus except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. All the others, age 20 and up, killed in the wilderness for rebellion against God. Thus it is to the children and the teenagers of the Exodus and then to their children that the book of Deuteronomy is being firstly addressed. Chapter 3, Moses recounts the beginning of the conquest of the land, that is, the land east of the Jordan, reminding the people of Israel that God had given them victory over the kings of the Amorites, over Og and over Sihon. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3 of Deuteronomy. The Lord says, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, so the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Moses recounts, in addition, that because of his disobedience to the Lord, as he struck the rock, instead of speaking to it as he was commanded, Moses would be prevented from entering the land and would only be allowed to see it from a distance. Then moving on to chapter 5, Moses gives us again the Ten Commandments, reflecting God's character, and as we said when we looked at Exodus, summarizing God's law for his people. These laws, these ten words governing that had governed them in the wilderness were still to govern them in the land that they were going into inherit. Chapters 9 and 10 recount the people's rebellion against the Lord, the breaking of the law at Sinai, and their rebellious grumbling against the Lord in the wilderness. In calling the people to look back, Moses is exhorting them to see their past and to learn from it, to not return to the rebellion of their past, but to commit afresh to fear and to love and to obey the Lord their God. In chapters 1 through 11, the people of Israel are to be looking back, but they are also to be looking up. And in this perspective, we see some of the most precious passages in all of Scripture. As Moses reminds the people about the nature and the character of God, his love, his grace, and his justice. Consider some of the, these key passages in this first section which serve, they, they serve to point the people of God under the old covenant and us under the new covenant to who God is, to love him and to worship him again. In chapter four, the Lord presents his word to them and points out to the people of Israel, points out to his people just how privileged they are. And Christian, we should see how privileged we are to have received what the Lord has received. Look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Moses writes, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call upon him? What a precious promise, Christian. Did you know that the Lord is near to you whenever you call upon him? And near in Christ 
in ways Moses could only have hoped to imagine. Continue on, verse 8. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Drop down to verse 23 of Deuteronomy 4. Moses continues, So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God cares about the honor of his name for it deserves to be honored. He is righteous, he is holy, and he cares about it. Verse 32, Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, since Genesis 1, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything been done like this great thing? Or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God, and there is no other besides him. And this is for us today. This is who God is. Think of how much more we have seen of the works of the Lord from Joshua to Revelation, Christian. How great is God's redemption of his people. This Truth was their heritage, and it is ours. What a treasure that the Lord is not only the Lord, but he is our God. And in Christ, we have the privilege to call him Abba, Father. How precious. Chapter 6, a precious, precious call to hear and obey the Lord, a call to worship that is even to this day regularly recited among the Jews around the world. Look at chapter 6, verse, beginning in verse 3. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise The Lord, God, is the only God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Or you could say, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Yahweh alone is our God. Yahweh alone is the God. All the other gods are idols and no gods at all. And we are commanded to love him for he is worthy of our love, and to obey him, for he is worthy of our obedience, and to speak of him in his ways, for he is worthy of this praise. Continuing on in this section, such great truths, chapter 7. Chapter 7 reveals the love of God. I don't know how much, if you were to ask someone on the street, if they even know about the Torah, or they know about the law of God, that in the law of God is one of the most glorious expressions of the love of God in all of Scripture. Look at chapter 7, verse 7. As Moses is continuing to remind the people of who God is, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. 
God did not redeem the people of Israel because they were the greatest people in the world. He redeemed them and he loves them because he loves them, because he had promised to love them and to fulfill his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He is the covenant-keeping God. And Christian, this is the same for us. God does not love us because of anything in us that earns God's love or merits God's favor in and of ourselves. God loves us because he loves us, and he loves to show love to the unlovable. Meditate on Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. Chapter 8, continuing on as we see almost the gospel, many truths of the gospel rooted in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 8 shows that the people of Israel were saved by grace so that no one can boast. Chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Look there with me, please. Chapter 8, verse 4. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out, the nations out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers. The Lord did this for his own sake, not because of their righteousness. God's love for them and his care for them is all of his grace. They did not earn it. They did not merit it. He gave it to them because that is who he is. In chapter 11, this section culminates with an overarching call to obey and follow the Lord. There at the end of chapter 11, verse 26, Moses writes, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. This is the first perspective the people are to have, to be looking back, to remember what God has done, and then to look up and to see the God who has done these things and his great mercy and love with which he continues to do them. And then, and of motivation of that great love that they have been shown to trust him and to obey him. Treasure these roots of the gospel here in Deuteronomy. This brings us to the second perspective the people were to have, the second main section of Deuteronomy, which begins in chapter 12. And here, as I said before, the people were to be looking out, that is, to be looking outward from themselves to the others around them. Chapters 12 through 26 form in many ways a continued exposition of the Ten Commandments that were recounted in chapter 5. Already from chapters 5 through 11, there are exhortations to worship the Lord alone. In many ways, that's a, a very expanded exposition of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And in the chapters 12 through 26, Moses then recounts the rest of the law. And as you look through this section, you can tie each specific part of commands or group of instructions to at least one of the Ten Commandments, all of which falling underneath the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself, as our Lord tells us. The Lord here rightly orders their life and their worship. And as before, like the first section, this is not just merely a rehashing of history. This is not just a, uh, a bunch of legal deja vu. I've read these before. I've read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. I get to skip part of Deuteronomy. No, the purpose of this section is, again, to reiterate for the people of Israel how they are to live in the land. Some of these instructions are similar to those rehearsed in Exodus through Numbers, and some are, uh, some are newly introduced and restated for application in the permanent kingdom. 
Let me just draw your attention to a couple of these key passages which were foundational for the nation of Israel and which we will see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, I think, playing a major part in what is about to happen. Chapter 12 contains laws regulating proper worship of God at what will one day be a permanent sanctuary of the Lord. Deuteronomy 12.5 says, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There would be a time, not when everyone can worship however they want to in their backyard, but there would be a place to worship the Lord, a central sanctuary that first was the tabernacle and then was the temple, the place where right worship was to take place in the land of Israel. Chapter 13 provides an extended instruction for the people to shun idols and to follow only after the Lord and to stop their ears to false prophets who would seek to entice them away from the Lord. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. If there was a prophet who seemed to do miraculous things, but their words were out of conformity to the word of the Lord or seeking to draw people away from the Lord, the people of God were to have nothing to do with that prophet. And the Old Testament is replete with examples of when they failed to ignore the voice of the false prophet. This is the continual and perpetual, underneath this is the perpetual principle for true prophecy throughout all of time. If there's anyone who claims to speak for God and they speak contrary to the word of God, they are not speaking for God. So Joseph Smith is not a prophet of the one true God. Muhammad is not a prophet of the one true God. We see that from scripture. The person on TV who seems to say something that they dreamt one time, if it's not in keeping with the message of the one true God, you do not need to listen to them. Instead, you should run away from that. Then in chapters 14 and 16, there's continual laying out of the dietary and and proper order of dietary laws, proper order of the calendar, the Sabbaths and the festivals, all of which were to govern how the people were to rightly worship before the Lord. In chapter 17, Moses gives instructions for the future time in Israel where there would be kings ruling over the people. They were not to have kings however they wanted to, but according to God's word, they were to set up their government. How was this king to function? Deuteronomy 17, 15, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set his king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countrymen. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. And the history of the Old Testament will show us the kings that abide by these instructions and those who spurn them and who walk in their own way. And the king was to be a man of the book. He was to have a copy of God's word that he copied by his own hand in the, under the supervision of the priests, and he was to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn, verse 19, to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. This is what Israel's kings were to be. And not only does Moses show God's plan for the political rule in Israel, but also in chapter 18, Moses tells of what the people should look for in true prophets whom the Lord would raise up. Prophets like Moses, who would speak God's word to his people. Look over in chapter 18. Chapter 18, 
and in verse 18. Moses writes, I will raise up a prophet, or the Lord says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. Here we have, for the people of Israel, the standard for true prophecy. Who, who comes to the king? Who comes to the people proclaiming to be a prophet? How were they to know that this was a prophet like Moses? A prophet in, in Moses' line, if you will. He was to speak according to the word of God, and whatever he said would happen, would happen. And herein is a further principle for prophecy to be evaluated even today. Any prophet who claims to speak from the Lord must meet the test of Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. If they don't, do not listen to them. If they claim to do miraculous things and even do them, but yet claim to speak and lead you away from the one true God, do not listen to them. If they claim to speak for the one true God, but what they say, prophesy, does not happen, do not listen to them. The Lord cared that his people in his place would uphold his justice, would honor his holiness, and govern all of their lives in a way that honors him. They were to look out to one another. They were to rightly order their society in a way that proclaimed justice for the innocent, that showed the holiness of God as serious, and who enjoyed the blessings of the land. This is the end of the second main section of Deuteronomy. Look out and look up to the God who gives us this law. This brings us to the third and final section, chapters 27 through 34, which point the reader of Deuteronomy to one final perspective. That is, they are to look forward and they are to look up. They, we've looked back and up to the Lord. We've looked out to neighbor for society and to the Lord, and now they are to be looking forward to what is coming up ahead, and they are to look up to the Lord their God. Moses begins to draw his farewell sermon to a close with the call to look forward. In chapters 27 through 34, you see the promised hope of Israel's future following the Lord. If they were to follow the Lord, the land of Israel would be the greatest place in the world to live lacking nothing, abundance, no miscarriage, great, great blessing. But they also see in this final perspective what future awaits them if they in wickedness rebel against the Lord. The Lord here is concluding his law with a series of blessings and curses. Moses has already pointed to blessings and curses in chapter 11, but beginning in chapter 27, he includes the fullest sections, uh, section of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. In chapter 27, Moses commands that the people, when they enter the land, they are to set up not an image of God, but a monument containing the law of God written out before the people so that all of Israel could see the word of God, the commands to obey, the blessings of obedience, and the curses for disobedience. They were not without excuse. They had no excuse. As you read through chapter 27 and 28, you see the promise, the blessings, the beginning of chapter 27, of provision protection, children, peace, prosperity, victory over enemies. Life in many ways was going to be like being back in the Garden of Eden. The blessings of obedience are blessed indeed. But in the curses for disobedience, which is by far the largest section, things go from bad to worse. 
If the people choose to go away from the Lord their God and not obey him and follow after other gods to do things their way, things will go from bad to worse. The Lord will, like in Romans 1, give the people over to their desires. They want to live as pagan nations. They will live as pagan nations coming under the judgment of the Lord. And as you read through this and you see the cursing after cursing, the consequence after consequence, it continues to build and build and build until the time when it is foretold that there will be an attack upon the people and times will be so severe that parents will eat their own children. And that's exactly what happens in the history of the people of Israel. And then the Lord ends chapter 28 with a prophecy that the people would, as it were, try to go back to Egypt. Verse 68 of chapter 28, chapter 28, 68, the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way about which I spoke to you. You will never see it again. And there you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. The judgment on Israel is so bad, they cannot even sell themselves into slavery. That is what awaits the people who set themselves up against the Lord. And the Lord tells them that this is going to happen. He tells them at the end of Deuteronomy that there will come a time when they do this. And we will see this in the time of the judges and in the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes that separate off in kings just how these consequences play out. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story because in chapter 30, we see a marvelous promise to these very rebels that if they would repent and turn again to the Lord, listen what God will do. Chapter 30, verse one. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. The Lord We'll do more than that. Verse six, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And what will that enable them to do? What can they do now that they have circumcised hearts to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live? God does this for their good. He is so gracious. And in light of that, they are to obey the Lord and this culminates in a sort of a crescendo of plea to choose life at the end or the middle of chapter 30. Look at chapter 30, verse 17. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life. Israel was called to choose life. It was laid open to them. They were able to do that because God had redeemed them. He had worked in their hearts and offered to them a real choice. What do you want, life or death, blessing or curse? Which do you want? And friend, the same two choices are truly displayed to you today. Do you want life in Christ, freedom from sin, reconciliation to God, guilt expunged, freedom proclaimed? Do you want life or do you want death? Which is where all of us will end up in eternal death under God's punishment if we continue to reject the word of the Lord, which you have heard proclaimed here from this word. This is a real choice for you today. And I urge you, choose life. Come to Christ today, our merciful Savior, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, this wonderful book ends in 
chapter 34, as Moses goes up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, and there, opposite Jericho, the Lord showed him all the land, the promised land, that land that back in Genesis, God had promised to Abraham that one day he would have land and descendants, and that through him all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And Moses, though he didn't get to go in there, got to see where the Lord was going to keep this promise. And then what happened? Verse 5, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab. But no man knows his burial place to this day. Verse 9, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Thus ends the life of Moses, and thus ends the Pentateuch. Interestingly, at the, the time of writing of Deuteronomy 34, there had been no prophet who had arisen as Moses. And notice that we don't even know where Moses is buried. You can't go to the Moses' burial place theme park in Jordan today. There's plenty of tourist opportunities in Israel and in Jordan, but the grave of Moses is not one of them. You can go to the grave of, of Muhammad, you can go to other famous people, famous prophets, but you can't go to Moses' grave. I'm not sure entirely, but I wouldn't be surprised if part of the point is that it's not about Moses. If there was a Moses' gravesite, people would go and worship Moses and venerate Moses and go to pray to Moses. But it's not about Moses. It's about the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord your God, Christian. No prophet had arisen like Moses. And as you look through the rest of Scripture, think of people like Elijah or Jonah or Isaiah or Amos or Malachi. All of these were similar to Moses in many ways. They spoke the word of the Lord, but none were exactly like him, speaking to the Lord face to face, knowing the Lord and doing all of these signs and wonders. Even in the New Testament, John chapter 1, people asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet. He wasn't the one, but we know who the one is. We see in Acts 3 and 7 that this promise of a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18 is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed how the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Well, he fulfilled the book of Deuteronomy. He is the one the prophet like Moses, whose voice we must obey. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, as Jesus in his glory spoke to Moses. Moses spoke face to face to the Lord. He spoke face to face to Jesus. And what did the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He is the prophet whose voice we must obey. And he is the king of Israel, the true king, according to Deuteronomy 17, who loved God's word, who meditated on it day and night, and who perfectly kept every single precept of the law without fail. The word of God was so precious to our Lord Jesus. He walked in God's ways so closely that when he, under the most extreme circumstances, was tempted in the wilderness by the devil himself, Three times he went to the book of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy. You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy. Jesus kept the book of Deuteronomy. He deserved all the blessings of the law. And for his people, he bore 
all the curses, all the penalty, all the guilt of sin put on him. He was the one that Deuteronomy 21 speaks of. Accursed is he who hangs on a tree. We see in Galatians 3.13 that this is because Christ became the curse for us. And he is the one through his spirit who enables his people to have circumcised hearts. Christian, this is your God. This is your savior. The one true God, the majestic God who gave the law is the same God who in God the Son came and bore flesh and fulfilled the law and loved the law and walked in God's ways so that all who trust in him might enjoy not just some of these blessings, which were temporary, for that land of Israel will one day be gone, but can enjoy the blessings, the blessings of new life in Christ, the kingdom which will never pass away, the new heavens and the new earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb, having God himself tabernacle among us in glory. Christian, this is our God. And friend, if this is not your God, I would just close with the final exhortation to choose life. Listen to him, hear him, fear him, obey him, love him, for he is worthy. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we proclaim that you, God, three in one, are the only God. And you are worthy of our praise. You are gracious for us, Lord. You did not redeem us or save us because we were righteous. You did not save us and show your love to us because we were lovable, but you delight to show love and grace to the one who would, by faith, trust in your promises, repent and turn and submit to you, our King. I pray if there's anyone in this room who has not done this, that your word would speak through Deuteronomy to them to soften their hearts and stir in them a love to obey this great God. And for those of us in Christ, may our love for you be stirred up afresh. The promise-keeping, eternal God of the days of Moses, the days of Jesus, and today and forever and ever. For your kingdom endures throughout all generations. You are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, we offer our praises to you, Father. Amen.